Uh, I'm going to say no one's better than me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's go. Blow up. Welcome, everybody, to the Monday, July 20th edition of Locked On Dolphins. I am your host, Kyle Krabs, lifelong Miami Dolphins fan, managing editor of USC Today's DolphinsWire.com, director of scouting at TheDraftNetwork.com. Today's episode is brought to you by RockAuto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the parts your car will ever need. RockAuto.com. And today, we have some administrative items to get to, but I also want to follow up with one of the questions that I was asked on Power to the Pod on Friday, which was specifically centered and geared towards if you could sit down with Miami Dolphins leadership and ask them a question or two. What questions, pray tell, would would you like to ask and what would you like to know? So looking forward to talking about what I would have to ask Chris Greer and what I would have to ask Brian Flores. We'll talk about that today, but not before we address the elephant in the room, the Madden rankings. The Madden, the full slate of Madden rankings have been released for each of the players. Uh, the Dolphins reportedly the worst team in the game yet again for the second consecutive year, which I'm not buying, but that's neither here or there. Madden is kind of a subculture of football that's it's pretty fun to see pot people get riled up about, and obviously uh, a chance to put you into the shoes of your favorite players and coaches and GMs, uh, courtesy of Madden every year. Uh, say what you will about the game, and I know there's critics that, that say that uh, they're investing their resources into the wrong game modes, and people want to fix franchise mode, and for Dolphins fans specifically, like, I know I'm not trying to play competitively online with the Dolphins. I'm going to play with like Dallas or Seattle or or somebody that's, that, that's got some dynamic playmaking ability on both sides of the football. And the Dolphins is a rebuilding team. I was hoping this was going to be the year where it's like, yeah, I can't wait to get online and play with the Dolphins. Well, no, I still need to play with the Dolphins in franchise mode uh, because the Dolphins did not get a lot of love, specifically in the offensive side of the football. I'm going to read through the, the main players on both sides of the ball and their Madden rankings, and we'll talk about who is most disrespected by Madden with these rankings. So Ryan Fitzpatrick and Tua. Fitzpatrick's a 74. Tua's a 73. Okay, Tua is a rookie. 73 is the second highest grade they've given out in the last two years to a quarterback. Joe Burrows is like a 76 this year. I'm fine with that. Jordan Howard, 79. Matt Breed is 79. Okay. Devontae Parker, 84. Preston Williams, 73. Jakeem Grant, 74. Albert Wilson, 76. I'm okay with this. Mike Gusecki, 79. I'm good with it. All this makes sense. We get to the offensive line. It's a different story. Austin Jackson, 64. Eric Flowers, 73. Ted Karras, 70. Jesse Davis, 65. Robert Hunt, 67. Yikes! You're going to play online against the Chargers, hypothetically, with a bunch of studs in the front seven. Miami's not going to be able to block anybody. 
in this game. Now, schematically, we've talked about this in a real-life application. Schematically, the way the Dolphins are built and constructed and, and the way that their offense is going to work is going to mitigate some of that issue, right? Because the ball is going to get out quick. But still, very surprising to see the rankings for the defense or the offensive side of the football and be really like, I'm okay with almost everything that we got from a skill player perspective. And then you got to the offensive line, and it was like, wow, man, like, woof. So let's go to the defensive side of the ball. Interior defensive linemen. We'll spotlight the big three. Raekwon Davis being one of them, Devon Godshaw and Christian Wilkins. Wilkins is a 74. Godshaw's a 76. Raekwon Davis is a 71. Our defensive end, Shaq Lawson, 75. Emmanuel Ogba, 75. Kyle Van Noy, second best player on the team, according to Madden, 86 overall. Raekwon McMillan's a 76. Jerome Baker's a 74. Xavier Howard is an 82. Byron Jones is the best player on the Dolphins with an 88. Igbo is a 70. Bobby McCain is a 75. And Eric Rowe is a 72. If I look at the defensive side of the football, uh, we are greatly disrespecting Christian Wilkins. I think we're disrespecting Shaq Lawson a little bit. And we're disrespecting Jerome Baker. We're also disrespecting Eric Rowe a little bit, too. I wrote about that for Dolphins Wire over the weekend and thought it was at least worth mentioning here. Eric Rowe might be a good candidate for the most underrated player on the Dolphins. Uh, and, and the reason being, people say, oh, Devontae Parker, he made the Pro Bowl last year. Everybody who's a Dolphins fan, everybody who plays fantasy football knows Devontae Parker was great last year. Should he made the Pro Bowl? Yes, he had more receiving yards than any other wide receiver in the AFC. Somehow, he's the only player amongst the top eight receiving yards leaders in the NFL to not make the Pro Bowl last year. How? I don't know. I don't. He posterized the NFL's defensive player of the year, Week 17, in a game that the Dolphins won. You would have thought that would have been enough. You'd have thought wrong, but you'd have thought it would have been enough. But the what Eric Rowe did, a former second-round pick, Played a year with the Eagles, got traded to New England. He was there. He played 16 games his rookie year. Couldn't stay healthy. Comes to Miami, plays a full season. And when they switched him to play in the Minka Fitzpatrick role around the midway point and cover tight ends and be in the box, he was really good. Like, really good. And you come out and you look at the Madden rankings, and amongst prominent players on both sides of the football, a 72, he's one of the worst players on the starting lineup. No way. I'm selling that hard. Is Eric Rowe a star in the making? No, probably not. Is he going to be a really good player for the Dolphins? I think so, so long as he's healthy. I think if Eric Rowe comes out and does in 2020 what he did in 2019, he's a long-term option for the Dolphins at strong safety. I think he can lock that into place. Offensively, you know, it's hard to sit here and knock the rankings of Karras and Eric Flowers. Uh, we we did not get any love for our offensive tackles that we picked at all. Be interested to see what happens to Robert Hunt's ranking if you move him inside to guard. Maybe we could steal a better ranking there since Jesse Davis is a 67. But, uh, yeah, the Dolphins, it looks like I'll be running exclusively franchise mode uh, again for another year just to try and get uh, some more enjoyable gameplay out of playing with the Dolphins. 
RockAuto.com is a family business that's been serving auto parts customers online for the last 20 years. And whether you're looking for engine control modules or brake parts or tail lamps or motor oil, RockAuto.com's catalog is easy to navigate and you can get everything delivered to your front door with just a few easy clicks. And best of all, prices at RockAuto.com are same for everyone. So whether you're a professional or a do-it-yourselfer, whether you're doing it for your classic or your daily driver, everybody pays the same. Why would you pay up to twice as much for the same parts? So visit rockauto.com and see all the parts that they have available for your car or truck and write locked on in there, how did you hear about us box, so they know we sent you. rockauto.com. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all of the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. Before we get into questions I would ask Miami Dolphins leadership, one other thing that I did want to talk about, I did some research over the course of the weekend for Dolphins Wire. And I want to congratulate everybody who listens to this podcast, and, and I want to congratulate to Dolphins fans everywhere, because I don't know if you've realized it or not, but you have officially survived the dark ages of Miami Dolphins defensive play. I'm hoping we don't get back to it. But we have endured a three-year stretch of the worst defensive football this team in its history has ever played. The Miami Dolphins, just five times in their team history, have allowed 400 or more points in a season. Up until this past year, the highest that they had allowed was 437 points which transpired back in 2007. Here, the Dolphins went 1-15 under Cam Cameron. The next worst point total prior to that was 2018. Adam Gase's last year, the Dolphins' defense gave up 433 points, four points away from the worst point total in team history. In 2019, the Dolphins gave up 494 points. Ignore the fact that they gave up 100 points in the first three games, first two games. Nevertheless, still a problematic trend, right? 494 points in 2019, worst in team history. 2007, 437, 433 in 2018, and then you have two occasions, one in the 60s and one in the 80s, in which the Dolphins gave up 407 and 405. The team's third or sixth worst point total allowed is 393 points, and that was 2017. The team's last three seasons, first of all, they've progressively gotten worse, which you expected that in 2019 with the teardown of the rebuild. Like, call spade a spade. It is what it is. It's not an indictment of Brian Flores because it's paying for the sins of somebody else at this point and the improvement that they showed throughout the course of the season. But three of the six worst point totals and points allowed the last three seasons of Miami Dolphins football. And the reason why I say that is to make a point regarding what the Dolphins did this offseason. Because obviously spending and bringing in Byron Jones and Kyle Van Noy and Shaq Lawson and Emmanuel Ogba, like that's exciting. But then you get to the draft and it's like, wow, the Dolphins took Igbo at 30. They didn't take a running back. They didn't take a wide receiver. They took... Another corner. 
Wow, they got to 56. They took Robert Hunt at 39. They get to 56, and they take Raekwon Davis. They didn't take some of these other guys that were available on the clock. They didn't trade up and go get J.K. Dobbins, who went at 55. Well, let's keep the, the context here. This is a great point of reference to remember when you look at what the Dolphins did. Historically bad defense for the Dolphins franchise the last three years. And Brian Flores says, I'm going to put my foot down. I've had enough. I am not going to allow a lack of depth to threaten the progress that I can make with this roster with my play call. So yeah, the Dolphins passed on a running back. Ended up going with Matt Breed in a fifth round trade. Great value for one year. The other side of this coin is not very pretty either, by the way. As far as Dolphins uh, points scored, did some research. If I asked you the last time the Dolphins scored 400 points in a season, do you know when it was? 400 points. An average of 25 points per game. When's the last time the Dolphins averaged 25 points per game? It was before I was born. I was born in 89. It's 1986 is the last time the Dolphins scored 400 more points. They scored 430 points that year, but allowed 405, and they ended up finishing 8-8. Eight eight. The Dolphins, in the time since 86, they've had a couple of close calls. They came close in, in 95, Don Shula's last season. They scored 398 points that year. But why am I making a big point of Renfrew out of 400 points? Eight of the NFL's 12 playoff teams last year scored over 400 points on the season. Of the four that didn't, Houston was within 22 points, Philadelphia was within 15 points, and Green Bay was within 24 points. Buffalo, with 314 points scored over 16 games, was far and away the outlier as a playoff team last year. Dolphins have not scored that point total in 33 years. The last four Super Bowl champions all have scored over 400 points a game. Six of the last 10 Super Bowl champions, 400 points. It's a majority. It's not an overwhelming majority. But interestingly enough, of the last 10 Super Bowl champions, I do think it's interesting that the, some of the teams that didn't were the Packers in the early 2000s. I believe the Giants qualified as one of those teams. The early 2010s. Green Bay was in the early 2010s. As of late... 400 points is a big number, and the Dolphins haven't hit that in 33 years. Meanwhile, their defense, worst three-year stretch in the history of the franchise, and that includes the expansion team years in the AFL. Lots to look forward to from an improvement standpoint and lots of room for improvement as it pertains to what the modern standard is for both sides of the coin. Our last discussion topic today, we want to talk about Dolphins leadership. Talk about Chris Greer and Brian Flores. If I could ask each one of them one question, what would it be? It's a very difficult proposition because there's a lot I'd like to ask either one of them. If I were going to talk to Chris Greer, I would ask him most specifically, about how the team plans to continue 
prioritizing volume, if they plan to continue prioritizing volume via the NFL draft, or as this team continues to graduate and move on to uh, new standards and new heights as, as a team, if the team is going to be more prone to getting aggressive with their draft picks. In short, what is the method to the madness as the Dolphins roster improves? As it pertains to, uh, are we going to stay tried and true to the Patriots model? Is our model going to evolve as the team's life cycle evolves? The Dolphins, in the grand scheme of NFL teams and life cycles, they're infants right now. Their roster is very young. they got a bunch of babies on this roster, guys with not a lot of NFL experience. They've got one guy on the roster over the age of 30, and it's Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's not going to be here next year. I think that's part of the reason why it was important for the Dolphins to find players with championship pedigree throughout the course of free agency, to a certain degree. But I would want to know, like, down the line, is a player like a Yannick Ngakwe, who I don't think is you know, somebody who should be taken seriously for the Dolphins based on where they're at in this point in time, is that somebody you would make a move for? Or would you still rather say, yeah, you know, we're, we're on the clock here at, at 13, and I got six players that I like, and I got somebody that's calling me up offering me an extra two this year and an extra two next year to move back eight spots. I'm going to take the volume every single time. Because I'd like to just kind of, get a grasp on we all have such emotional reactions to stuff as it happens in real time getting a better grasp on what the Dolphins long-term team building philosophy is going to be because we did get a little bit of the conflicting messages this year right it's like Miami they spent big in free agency they were aggressive they went out signed some premier players but then you get to the draft and we're in the first three rounds and they're standing pat. They had an opportunity to maybe make a big splash and trade up from 18 to go get Tristan Wirfs, who went it at uh, 13 to Tampa Bay, who traded up from 14. They had the opportunity to jump up from 56 and maybe grab Jonathan Taylor or DeAndre Swift or, or any of these guys. But they instead elected to stand pat. They said, we're not going to give away free draft picks to panic and react to the board. Well, what does that look like three years from now as this team continues to graduate? If you feel like you're one offensive lineman away, is it possible that the Dolphins could trade their two first-round picks this year to get up into the top five for Penny Sewell? Is that something that we could see happen? That, I think, is the most fascinating dynamic of the Dolphins because their actions in free agency and the draft told us so many different stories this year. And if I were to talk to Brian Flores and I could ask him one question about his approach to the team, I would want to ask him about what data points and what information goes into his decision-making process on how and when to be aggressive as a head coach. You think a lot about the Dolphins last year. Obviously, they played with nothing to lose in a lot of ways. They went for the two-point conversion and missed against Washington to win the game and avoid overtime. How many fake punts and fake field goals and trick plays 
and going forward on fourth down. How many times did we see Brian Flores take this approach? What bits, what data points does does he have at his disposable, courtesy of his staff, that helps him make those decisions in real time? Because if if that was more a byproduct of, well, we don't really have anything to lose this year, let's just go get it and be aggressive, that's that's good. But I would love to hear that there there's some research behind some of those decisions that is going to allow the Dolphins to maintain that aggressiveness and continue to be a very uh, prominent team as far as that's the modern cutting edge. You think about the Philadelphia Eagles with Doug Peterson and the aggressiveness trends that they've shown, and especially as the Dolphins roster gets better, if you're willing to step on the throat and play with a killer mentality and not do the Joe Philbin thing where you get queasy, it's an exciting proposition. And you give yourself the opportunity to close and finish games, which is something the Dolphins have greatly struggled with for a great while. Some of that is talent issue related. But some of that is demeanor and approach to the game and game management. If Brian Flores is going to be a, and I think he is, but I would love to hear from him the how and the why and the numbers behind the decision-making process from 2019. To get some perspective on just how much of a killer we should expect this team to be in close game situations. I think that's what I would be most fascinating, fascinated to hear from Brian Flores. I could talk scheme all day long. I would love to, I could, I would be a sponge sitting there with Brian Flores and, you know, tell me how you guys do this and how you do that. That would be amazing. But if I were trying to think of what question to ask for, as good of a forecast as I could possibly get looking forward for the Dolphins, that's probably the avenue that I would take. Tomorrow on the show, we do have our standard Tuesday edition of Power to the Pod. We had it on Friday last week because we had the AFC Ultimate Ultimate AFC East Divisional Crossover Series, uh, which forced us into some uh, reprogramming and reshuffling of the calendar. Want to get us back on schedule. Tuesday is your day on Locked On Dolphins. So make sure you swing over to Locked On Fins with a PH and leave your hashtag power to the pod questions, or you can leave a review on the show, and I will most definitely be reading any and all five-star reviews that I see that I have not tackled since Friday. So if you want to leave a five-star review on the podcast with a question, I'll make sure I get it. This is Kyle Krabs. I hope you guys enjoyed this Monday edition of Locked on Dolphins. Rookies are scheduled to report to the team facility in Davie on Thursday of this week. So we're seeing this continued negotiation between the NFL and the NFLPA on procedures to make sure everybody is comfortable as as the NFL looks to return to action. But we're going to have traction on that front by the end of the week. So plenty to look forward to. Make sure you keep it locked in right here on Locked on Dolphins. Thanks for listening, and I will talk with you guys again tomorrow for Power to the Pot.